0: Let us pray. Jesus, take me as I am. I can come no other way. Take me deeper into you. Lord, we pray that you would do that for us just now this evening. Come and speak to us. Reveal yourself to us in your word. And Lord, as we learn more of you, we pray that we would love you better and serve you more and more in the Spirit of Christ. Amen. Keep the passage open before you there, Colossians chapter 1, which we've been looking at these last few weeks. I read a fantastic quotation this week that sums up beautifully. Paul's poem about the supremacy of Christ that we looked at last week it came from Abraham Kuyper who was a pastor and a theologian but also one time the prime minister of the Netherlands he said this there is no square inch of creation over which Jesus Christ does not shout this is mine and we we thought about that a little bit last Sunday evening we tried to get our heads around the idea that actually God has created everything in this world. It's something we talked about in our morning services as well. God created everything in this world. He created it all good. And although many things are are corrupt and are fallen, Jesus is reconciling everything to himself. There's no square inch of creation over which Jesus Christ does not shut. This is mine. If we really begin to believe all of this, it's going to make a massive difference to how you and I live, because if God really did create everything, and if in Jesus he's reconciling everything to himself, then there's no longer anything in life that we can write off, nothing in life that we can ignore and say that this is not important to God. God we then discover is at work in our homes and in our workplaces and in the natural environment and not just in the church and not just on Sundays as we we maybe have been inclined to think everything was created we learned by Jesus and for Jesus and the purpose of everything in creation is to give glory to Jesus There was a phrase there that we looked at last week that said that we are redeemed for the praise of His glory. We work for the praise of the glory of Jesus Christ. We play football for the praise of His glory. We enjoy the arts for the praise of the glory of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that you do that shouldn't be or couldn't be done for the praise of the glory of Jesus Christ. The more I read the Bible the more I'm coming to the conclusion that Christian living is just a lot bigger than I ever realized that God's intentions for me and for his people are way beyond what I what I maybe initially thought I'd let myself in for and maybe you're beginning to see that too can I urge you if you're someone who follows Jesus Christ to leave behind leave behind all our shriveled ideas about God, all of our half-baked understandings about God and what he is doing in this world, and begin to take seriously what the Bible teaches about what God intends for this world. Let's ask God to do for us what Paul prayed for the, the believers in Colossae, to fill us with the knowledge of his will. Let's pray that we'll learn to think like Christians. That's not easy. I think I'm beginning to learn to think like a Christian. That might sound like a strange thing for somebody who's a minister to say, but I, I honestly believe that a lot of our theology is not, is not even close to capturing a fraction of what God intends for us and for this world. Let's, let's ask God to, to blow, blow our boundaries and to to give us new horizons. Tonight, as we come to to chapter 1 and verse 24, we're we're looking at a passage that really is one distinct unit, but it, it can easily be split into two. In the first paragraph, Paul explains to the believers in Colossae the nature of his ministry and in the second paragraph in, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, he explains how that ministry relates to the church in Colossae. I want to say, just as I, I preach this passage this evening, this is probably a more personal passage to me than, than the rest of the letter because what we have here is a, a pastor talking to a group of people about his own work, if you like, That really would be a useful way of thinking of these verses that we're looking at this evening. It's very important for all of us to to read this stuff, but I I must say it really struck a chord with me as I was preparing for this evening. What Paul says in verse 24, as he begins to talk about his ministry, sounds very familiar to any of us who have read any of Paul's other letters. "'Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, Paul, time and time again, talks of the suffering that he does on behalf of the people to whom he's ministering. He does it in 2 Corinthians, in Ephesians, in 2 Timothy. But but there's something unusual here. I don't want to think about the stuff that's common to the other letters. I want to think about the distinctive here. He goes on to say, "'Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking.' in regard of Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul seems to be saying that his suffering is somehow related to the suffering of Jesus Christ. Now, how can he do that? At the time of writing, Jesus is risen, is ascended to heaven. How can Paul link his suffering to the suffering of Jesus? Paul's able to do that because he actually believes the things that he said elsewhere about the church He believes that the church really is the body of Christ. That which was true of Christ when he lived an earthly life among us is now true of the church, the body of Christ on earth today. And despite the kind of things that a lot of churches are preaching nowadays, I'm convinced that even in the third millennium, suffering is still a part of the Christian life. It's still something that the body of Christ will experience. It's not a sign that we're outside God's will, which, which people would sometimes lead us to believe. In fact, it might be quite the opposite. It might be a sign that we're right in God's will because we're being identified with Jesus Christ and his sufferings. I want to, to think about all of this with you for a second. Do we see suffering? among the people of Christ in the world today. Is that something that we actually are seeing in real terms in our world today? I think the answer is clearly yes in some cases. I remember when I was growing up, the the big sphere in which Christians suffered in the world was the the communist bloc. The countries where communism held power, in those countries people were often persecuted and imprisoned. Well, that's moved on today. Communism no longer carries that sort of threat. Today, Christians suffer an awful lot in Islamic countries. And that's something that we are very aware of. The fact of the matter is, while we're sitting here this evening, there are millions of people in the world who are suffering because they take the name of Jesus Christ. I can't dress that up any other way for you. That's the truth. And it's something that we take quite seriously here at Kirkpatrick. We hope to to support these brothers and sisters as we pray for them week by week, especially at our Wednesday night fellowship. It's something that we'll not stop doing while there are those suffering uh, this physical persecution for the name of Jesus. But something that I've said before at a morning service here not so long ago, I think would make a massive mistake if we, we limited suffering and the suffering that Paul's talking to, only to physical persecution. I'm becoming more and more convinced that that anyone who takes the name of Jesus will suffer for that. Some people will suffer hard and long as they try to overcome a particular temptation in their lives. Some people will struggle for years. Being saved or coming to Christ won't turn them into the people they want to be. They'll struggle for years with a particular issue that, that haunts them. Others will suffer terribly. I, I've grown more conscious of this in my time as a pastor. If you're a believer and somebody who is dear to you is not, that, that can be a massive cause of suffering. Whether it's a, a spouse in a marriage or a child or, or some other dear friend or family member, that, that's a, a, a terrible burden to carry. Some people suffer constant ridicule from from people close to them who hate the name of Jesus. And for others, they just live with a lot of uncertainty. Although they would love to have total confidence in the things of God, they aren't just quite there. And their doubts and their uncertainties are a burden that they carry every day. Friends, I would want to say that all of these kinds of suffering, all of them are very, very real. None of them are signs that God is far from us. In fact, they might be just the opposite. Paul says we can rejoice in our suffering because this is a sign that we really are in Christ. And that's how he responds to the suffering he faces. In verse 25, Paul goes on to remind us that he's become a servant of the church by the commission of God. The commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. But look at how he goes on to understand his job description. He says that his job is to present you the word of God in all its fullness. That's very, very simple. But believe me, whenever you're, you're in the role that Paul has it's easy to become distracted. Paul knows that a minister's job isn't to stand at the front and speak eloquently about current affairs. His job isn't to give his opinion or his his advice on how we can deal with current issues and help with the world's problems. He knows what his job is. It's to present people with the fullness of the Word of God. Friends, I I would love to do that for you in my time as a minister here at Kirkpatrick. Morning and evening, Sunday by Sunday, I want to do one thing, and that's to present to you the fullness of the Word of God. I don't see that as a limited horizon. I see that as a massive challenge, because the fullness of God's Word, as I've already said this evening, is, is a way beyond what I currently comprehend. And I suspect it's beyond what you currently comprehend. God's will for us is incredible. And I want to help you. And I want to learn myself the fullness of God's will. If you're praying for me, pray that for me, will you? That I'll be able to help you to see the fullness of the Word of God. Notice in verse 26 of how Paul refers to the Word of God in its fullness. The mystery, he says, that's been kept hidden for ages and ages. At this point, Paul's doing, when he uses that word mystery, he does he's doing something here that he does often. He's catching on to a, a well-known Jewish idea, and he's rethinking it in the light of the gospel. It's at these points that we need to to take an extra step. Because we don't live in that world that he's writing to, we need to take an extra step very quickly to work out what this, what this mystery is or what this context is that he's writing into. Well, Paul is, is operating at a time when Jewish people had been looking forward to God coming. They'd been looking forward for centuries that God would come at a time and work in power, that he would set his people free that he'd re them uh, as a, a military power and that he'd give them freedom from the Romans. Now, for some of the people, they had been waiting for, with bated breath that God would unveil his se- secret plans, if you like, for his people. This mystery had begun to occupy the thinking of people for ages and generations. Now, what Paul's doing here in verse 26 is he's latching on to that expectation. And he says that it has now been unveiled. The the people of God might be surprised because it turns out that it's not a military campaign to get rid of the Romans. The mystery that Paul's talking about here isn't a roadmap to restore political power to Jerusalem and God's people there. The mystery it turns out, is a person. All that God has planned to do from the beginning, he has done and he is doing in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul sums up this incredible plan in a nutshell at the end of verse 27. This mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I think this is an area that we... We need to work on. As Presbyterians in particular, I don't think we have a strong enough theology of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. We've heard talk about the Holy Spirit. At times it's made us a little bit nervous and we have run away and we have left ourselves a very impoverished idea of what Christian living is. Christian living is none other than this. God wants to live in us by His Spirit. Whenever we are are saved, when we trust in Jesus Christ, that is, is the opening of our life to the Spirit of God. And the presence of the Spirit then becomes the defining thing in our lives. That's the mystery that Paul's talking about here. The mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does he mean by the hope of glory? Friends, if if the Spirit of God lives in you, do you think God's ever going to let you die? Do you think God's ever going to let you perish? No way. When the Spirit of Christ lives in you, you become an eternal being. You will live through the grave because an eternal life has begun in you that nothing, not even physical death, can destroy. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you see what I mean when I say that, that understanding fully the will of God is just a lot bigger? I, I find this, this incredibly challenging and encouraging all at the same time. In verses 28 and 29, Paul tells us how it is that he goes about this work that God has called him to. He says, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom. We've already noticed in verse 25 that Paul's task, as he understands it, is to present the word of God in all its fullness. And here he gives us some idea of how he does that. He proclaims Jesus Christ. He does it by admonishing and teaching. Admonishing and teaching are really two sides of a coin. If you think of teaching as the positive thing, think of admonishing as the negative. But it's actually very important. Any good teacher will tell you, sometimes you have to explain to people where they're going wrong before you can give them the right way of it. And that's what Paul's talking about here. He says there's an element of admonishing of straightening out crooked thinking. And in terms of theology, I think that's so important. I find that it happens to me week by week as I'm in the study, because I go to passages in God's word that I think I understand, and that I think I've understood clearly what God says there. And I have another look at them and I realize, actually I've misunderstood that. I've got a shriveled or, or a very narrow view of God and his work in the world, there's so much more here. And I find that God's word admonishes me and and teaches me. Well, whenever we we look at God's word together here Sunday by Sunday, there's an element of both of these things needs to happen. We need to clear up any crooked thinking that we might have, and, and we need to see the positive. In the second half of verse 28, Paul tells us his aim in all of this. His aim is so that he can present everyone perfect in Christ. That's why he preaches, and that's why he preaches Jesus Christ. Look up at verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. The, the wording of verse 22 and verse 28 are very, very similar. In verse 22, we're thinking about God's aim. And in verse 28, Paul tells us what his aim is. And the two are almost identical because Paul's aim is God's aim. Paul's very careful to make sure that the work he does lines up with the work that God does. Friends, I think that's a brilliant model. It's a brilliant model for me as a minister of the gospel. It's a brilliant model for any of us who are at work in God's work. Let's make sure that our work lines up with the work that God is doing. It means that our our aims and our motives should always be open to that scrutiny. Is this God's work that I'm doing? Paul closes this explanation of his ministry uh, very quickly in verse 29. To this end I struggle, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. That word struggling here, it's, it's really an athletic term. It's like an athlete preparing for and competing in the games. So the image we have here, it's a bit like Stephen Redgrave. All those freezing cold mornings he spends out on the river training for the Olympic Games. It's, it's really Kelly Holmes. All those countless miles she runs in the dark and in the wet, training for her Olympic gold. That's the kind of effort that Paul puts into his ministry. Paul doesn't go about his work in a half-hearted way. He doesn't sit back expecting God's grace to fill up the gaps, to do those things that he's too lazy to do himself. He gives his all. But notice, too, that he's not relying on himself. There's a lovely balance here. He doesn't imagine that it's all up to him. He says that he's struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. It is a struggle. To live for God for any one of us is a struggle. But as we said a moment ago, the Spirit of God is in us and works in us and through us. Friends, I've, I've brought you very quickly through those verses. We're only going to spend a minute or two looking at the first five verses in chapter 2, and then I want to close. In the first five verses of chapter 2, Paul takes everything that he said and he applies it to the church in Colossae. He's struggling for them in prayer and in the writing of this letter. In verse 2, he repeats again his purpose. That they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. In chapter 1, Paul has explained the mystery of God that's been revealed in Jesus. Now he wants these young believers in Colossae to have that wonderful wealth all for themselves. I'm pretty much finished here, but I want this evening to close with a personal reflection on this passage. In these verses, we've seen what a pastor has written to a congregation. And it struck me this week as I was in the study that these are the, these are the words, these are the kind of things that I, at my best, would want to be saying to you. I count it a massive privilege to be called here to Kirkpatrick Memorial, to be your minister, and to bring to you the fullness of the Word of God. I count that a massive privilege and a wonderful responsibility. The fullness of what what I want to share with you and what the Bible teaches is that God created you, that He's bringing you back from sin and death, and that He longs to indwell you by His Spirit. That's what I want to experience in my life. That's what I want to be sharing with you. And as I serve here, along with Paul, I expect that there will be suffering. I expect there will be times and and perhaps long times when my work here will feel like a, a struggle. But I want to trust in God. I want to have every confidence in Him. And I want to engage in that struggle. And I want to enter into it. And I want to do all of that, laboring with all His energy, which so powerfully works in me. Friends, we are in in a relationship. You are the people of God in this place. And I, as one of you, am in a role where I am your pastor. As I read these verses in Colossians, I was massively inspired. I want to struggle hard with every ounce of strength that I have, but also in the power of the Spirit of God to help you find the glory of God in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we are amazed at all the good things that you give us in Jesus Christ our salvation will always be before us something for which we will will praise you and thank you for as long as we live but Lord as we've gathered around your word here these last few weeks we've had a growing sense that your plans for us don't end when you've saved us your plans for us then have only begun. Your plans for us are that we would know You and know Your will and know Your ways and that we would grow in fullness, in maturity, and in likeness to Jesus. Lord, would You come and, and help us? Lord, we would love to be like Paul, people who are so conscious and so confident that, that we struggle only with the presence of your Spirit in us. Lord, we pray that this would be a church and that we would be people who are every day fuller of the presence of the Spirit of Christ. Lord, come, fill us, make us into your people. More and more, we pray. Amen.